Hi, this is Chuck Wolf, and you're listening to WPKN 89.5 FM, listener-supported radio. And uh, all of you who are listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, again, the show's The Emotion Roadmap. Take the wheel and control how you feel, and I'm Chuck Wolf. And for those of you who are regular listeners, I want to say thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, those who listen regularly know we're on the air with The Emotion Roadmap, the first and second Wednesdays of each month from 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can hear a lot of the shows on uh, Public Radio Exchange. Um, this is a, uh, a place where I plus some of the favorite shows I have. A number of interviews I do on occasion, but most of them, as you know, this is a call-in show. This is a show where I spend time devoted to uh, the listening community and trying to help all of you who listen um, understand how to use the Emotion Roadmap to make a difference in your lives. I really enjoy helping people make a difference in their lives. Um, I've had a lot of um, wonderful opportunities in my life to learn from some very special, talented, brilliant people. And I've... Uh, from, and I've learned from those experiences how to create something I call an emotion roadmap. Those of you that are new to the show um, have never probably heard that term before, but it's the idea of uh, the, uh, that emotions influence our thoughts and behaviors. And there are times when our emotions create some conflict for us. And there are times when we are challenged by situations and our emotions complicate those challenges. One thing you should always understand about your emotions is they're always informing you about something. They're kind of a, a signal system that's been inherited over the years that has helped us to survive. And while in the past, evolutionary um, signals that were developed over time caused us to either run or fight with some kind of adversary, Sometimes an animal, sometimes another person, um, but whatever it might be, they were based on surviving. And those instincts sometimes are very helpful, but of course, you can't really fight inside a company with another person who you might feel is attacking you, verbally perhaps, or in different ways. Uh, you can't necessarily physically fight to survive in your families, even though you may disagree vehemently with somebody in your family about something these days, often political. Uh, but whatever it might be, there's something about your emotions that's important to understand. And that is that they always provide you with information. But what we've learned through the science of emotional intelligence is that they're not always helpful. Sometimes the emotions we feel, very important to recognize when they're a warning signal, but sometimes that feeling may be helpful and it may not be. And when do you know it's not helpful is when you've got something where you're stuck. Smart people, in my experience, often are stuck when something emotional is happening inside them, when they're emotionally conflicted, or when they're worried about escalating emotions with another person or a group of people. There's so much that we have to be careful about these days in terms of how we address one another. Uh, there's a huge concern in, in the... Um, LGBTQIA community about uh, pronouns these days. Uh, people are feeling like if you don't get their pronoun right, then you're not really paying attention and you don't really care about them. And you're not being someone that is acting in a way that they feel is correct towards them and they feel disrespected. And I recognize that and I've actually spoken as a keynote 
uh, in certain places around this, these issues. Uh, I, was, uh, I was a guest speaker on a panel uh, from McGill University in Canada not too long ago, and I was a, a keynote speaker for Dominion Energy down in Richmond, Virginia, about diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about those terms. And what I want to say is sometimes, as, a, as, a, as an example of a place where we might be conflicted, is some of us feel like, boy, that's just a lot of work to have to understand who you are. Why can't you just be he, she, or if you're a group, they or them? And it's not an easy answer. But there are people that don't feel that that really captures who they are. And so if I care about a person who feels this way, I want to learn what's important to them. I don't want to correct them. I don't want to tell them what they should think or should believe. I want to understand if you are someone that feels your pronoun is different than what we grew, most of us grew up with anyway, um, then, okay, what is your pronoun and what is it you want me to call you? And I will try really hard to get that right. But if I get it wrong, because there's a lot of people with a lot of different pronouns out there, a lot of different ways of thinking about their gender identity, um, then I want to just do the best I can to understand all those people I get to know, I get to work with, I get to care about. And also, I also don't want you to be mad at me if I make a mistake. I think we all need allies, not adversaries. And if you want allies around change, you want to recognize that people may embrace the change, but not always correctly talk about the change. And that doesn't make them an adversary. So that's an example, I think, of something that's happening in our world today. Another example is our politics. I know that there's a group out there, you've heard me talk about this if you're a regular listener, called No Labels, that is uh, pushing hard for what they're calling a unity ticket. They haven't identified specific candidates, although they have people in mind, but they, they haven't said this is who we're going to run for the presidential ticket if, in fact, it's President Biden against President, former President Trump. Now, they think that the country is really looking for something that isn't extreme. And while I know people on the far left think President Biden is way too moderate, <laughs> people in the middle and on the right think he's pretty far to the left, actually. That's what I understand from folks who kind of lean that way. Uh, people on the left many of whom would never vote for President Trump again, think he's just a person that should never have the chance to run again even. Uh, and yet there's people who feel like he fights for them, that he's the one person who actually cares about them and all the Washington um, politicians that they've experienced over their lifetimes. They feel President Trump has fought for them. And they will defend him and they will vote for him again. But then there's a lot of people who like some of the things that President Trump did and like some of the things that President Biden did and would really like to see both parties have candidates that seem like they're more willing to talk with the other party. So I think it's possible that the Democrats and Republicans may change who they're going to run. But it also is a fair chance that it will be President Biden against President Trump. I'm not saying that's impossible. It does seem it's possible, but I also don't see it as necessarily going to happen. Just don't know. Just don't know. But I do realize it could happen. And so No Labels is a group of um, active volunteers, nonprofit group, who has basically tried very hard to create lots more bipartisanship in politics. 
And they think the time is right for a unity candidate uh, uh, ticket. And they want to possibly have one Republican as president or one Democrat as president and the other person from the other party as vice president. Now, they are just getting themselves on the ballot and they're getting huge pushback. I think a lot of you may have heard of No Labels recently because of this, um, but not in a good way. Because if you listen to a lot of the news stations, they'll talk about No Labels. If you happen to be listening to a news station that leans to the left, they'll talk about them as a right-wing organization and wanting to do something with a third-party candidacy to make sure that President Trump gets reelected. People on the uh, right think of them as a left-wing organization, making sure that President Trump will never be reelected. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's really, uh, I don't want to say humorous, but at times it seems a bit humorous to me, um, the, our views of all these things. We, we are so polarized that sometimes we don't let ourselves think differently about change and about what's possible. So I don't know if there'll be a unity ticket or not, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's impossible I also think it's possible that despite the fact that some people say we'll never have um, a, a president from one party, Republican or, or Democrat, that can unite us. It wasn't that long ago that President Reagan and President Clinton both left office, both left office with over 60 percent approval ratings across the country. They were both liked by people in both parties to a fair amount. So I don't think it's impossible to have people that are fall into the category of people that really want to do what's right for the country. They are really excellent critical thinkers who are willing to find ways to get people to open up to possibilities that the right might have an idea that everyone wants to support or the left might have an idea that Everyone wants to support because it's really a good idea. It's really a good idea. I thought opportunity centers under President Trump. It was uh, Tim Scott ran with that initiative, a senator from South Carolina. And it was uh, coming, putting centers of opportunity into inner cities so that people in the inner cities would have more opportunities to choose some way of growing their skill set and becoming economically solvent, um, learning new skills, learning new careers. Um, it was great. It was a great idea. I wish we were doing more of that now. I think uh, President Biden got bipartisan legislation passed that lowered the drug drug cost of some drugs that were really ridiculously expensive and uh, for people that needed those drugs to live. And so we've, we've made some changes. Uh, again, I think that you can find things in both parties where both presidents did some things that were right for the country, in my mind anyway. And I wish we could talk more about that. I think if we found leaders that understood how to creatively find ways to generate win-win scenarios where people from the left, the right, the center, wherever you might be coming from, all agreed, hey, this is a good idea for the country. This is a good idea for the country. What would be some of those ideas? Um, finding a way to stop fentanyl from coming into our country. We have so many people overdosing in every kind of community we have demographically in this country. Wouldn't it make sense for organizations in both parties, groups of people, teams of people to come together and find ways to stop that from happening. 
and I think there are ways we could be doing more with that. Um, that's just an example. But the other thing I'd say is we want, we want someone who is able to uh, get things done and compromise when necessary, knows how to make a deal, and doesn't demonize other groups or other parties. I really hate when any politician talks about the other side as if somehow they're evil. I don't think of people in parties as evil. I think they're trying to do what they think is right often. Some do it for the power. Some do it for the greed. Some do it for, you know, values that you and I might not think are the right values. But then I think there are lots of people that want to do the right thing too. How do we find more of them and how do we get more of them elected? By the way, one of the interesting things coming up, because elections aren't too far off, is the whole primary system. Now, I know a lot of people don't get involved in primaries until, uh, well, they don't get involved in primaries at all, really. They think to be a good citizen, you just simply vote in the general election that you have. Well, there are certain jurisdictions, and this has been pointed out to me a number of times by different people, that there are some districts that it is unquestionable that in certain districts, a Republican is going to be the person elected. And in other districts, a Democrat is going to be the person that's going to be elected. There's no question. So then the real vote comes in the primary. Now, you might be a Republican in a Democratic district. And your vote, you might feel, doesn't count. But, you know, it could count if you wanted to consider registering as a Democrat and picking what you think is the best Democratic choice in a district where the Democrat is guaranteed to win. Doesn't that make some sense to you to consider? Same thing if you're uh, a Democrat in a Republican district. Does it make sense to vote for the Democrat in your district for, say, a representative? Or even in your state for a senator or for the president? Does it make sense to cast your vote for the Republican in a Senate race where it's all about your state? When you're in a democratic state, what they call a blue state, does it, does it make more sense to register as a Democrat and vote who you think is the best Democrat? I don't mean just to rig the election. I mean just because that's who's going to be your senator. If you're in a Republican or a red state and you're a Democrat and there's no chance of your Democratic senator choice being the nominee for your state to win, does it make more sense to register as a Republican? Anyway, those are just some thoughts about get involved in the primaries, folks, because that's where the elections determine who's going to run in the general election. And I think if you care about this stuff, then get involved early, not late. So anyway, I think I, I try to think of what are the ways to bring people together? How do we cut across the chasms that seem to divide us? And there's lots of them. Well, I have a good friend in the... Um, uh, someone I haven't talked to in a long time. I say a good friend, somebody I like a lot. And we can't say we're friends. We haven't talked in a long time, but somebody I like a lot. His name is Steve Paskoff. And Steve is, um, was a civil rights lawyer working for the government, prosecuting companies. And then he was um, actually working for companies for a period of time on the other side of the issue, helping to defend companies when people wrongly accused their companies of uh, misbehavior, either sexual harassment or other kinds of problematic behavior. Um, ageism, racism, all kinds of things. He was defending uh, on both sides of the aisle at different times in his life. And he realized that, you know what, a lot of what makes people want to sue their companies has to do with how they're being led, how they're being managed, whether they feel cared about. And he said, you know, if we can 
actually, I mean, it sounds simple, simplistic, but if we can do the right thing, and there's a lot to doing the right thing, we honor the law. We protect companies and we protect individuals by doing what's the right thing. Well, the right thing, it's, some, it's not simple. It's like we don't make jokes about certain groups. We just don't anymore. I mean, you want to do that on your own time in a, in a, in a family situation? Not, I'm not saying that's the right thing ever to do either, but you just don't do it at work. You see it happening at work and you're a leader of some kind? You're actually accountable for that. You can be sued yourself as a manager. I don't know if you know that. At least that was the law several years ago and I was working closely with Steve. Um, so you can't just let things pass when you see them and you know they're wrong. And yet we grew up doing a lot of these things that we thought were okay and fun. I, I look back at some of the behaviors I did myself as a kid and young adult and I thought, wow, I can't believe I did those things. Well, I mean, part of all of our journeys in life is to be smarter and better about how we interact with others in the world, how we relate to others. And I've been lucky enough to work in this field of emotional intelligence. And I'm really um, concerned about what's happening in our world. I think we, we sometimes overreact. For instance, as an example, I think, you know how we've created safe spaces, how we don't want people to be exposed to different points of view because it's too upsetting to them. Has that really helped our world, do you think, to do that? I think it's made us weak and less resilient. I think a lot of the suicidal and um, depression that we see across our country is in part due to the fact that we don't allow our kids and our, and our adults to experience life's hardships and also to be accountable for their own mistakes. I think... You know, we, we've tried to protect our children and I think we've swung the pendulum too far because in trying to protect them, we've um, diminished the strength and the character building, I think, that takes place as you grow up. I mean, I, in some ways, I like the idea of participation trophies and for especially kids who work hard. But did you see what happened to, um, to Jill Biden, you know, uh, President Biden's wife, when she said, why don't we honor the Iowa team that lost to the Louisiana team and the girls' basketball. I mean, we were going both to the White House. I had a great season. Uh, the uproar was amazing. But but that's kind of, she was, think, I, I, I doubt very much she was trying to create a controversy. She was trying to be empathetic to the team that just lost, that played their hearts out and had a great season, but weren't winners at the end. But the pushback was incredible. And, and, and it was the wrong thing to say, but not for the, but it was sort of for the right reasons that she said it. So I think that we have to understand winning and losing and we have to understand that we can accept and learn from our failures and learn from losing. You know, it's, it's tough to, it's tough. It's not easy. I, I'm, you know, if those of you that listen to the show know I'm a, a real big Boston sports fan <laughs> and I've just experienced the Bruins, the Bruins, Boston Bruins hockey team, professional hockey team had the best season ever, ever of any hockey team ever. And then they got into the playoff series and, you know, there was a lot of talk about, Hey, isn't it great that they won? They got the most points. They had the most wins. They were fantastic during the regular season. And then they played their first round in the playoffs and they lost and they lost in a very bad way. Uh, and you can, there's lots of reasons why they lost. People are speculating all kinds of things. Um, did they learn from their failure? I don't know. 
because they lost last year or the year before too in similar ways. So I don't know if we, if they if they really feel like they can learn from this failure. Um, but they failed, and they're being accountable for it. And they they didn't they didn't perform. They didn't have the ultimate goal of a championship. And that's too bad. I feel bad for them. I feel like they made some mistakes along the way. I wish they'd done better. I wish they'd won, but they didn't. And so you accept that. You have to accept that and move on and not let that defeat you. You were defeated in a game, not as a person, not as a team player. Somehow we have to allow ourselves to feel and allow our children to feel and to make them feel like that's okay. That's okay. Hopefully you can learn from a failure. Hopefully the mistakes that you made have, may have made that contributed to that failure, you don't make those mistakes again. It doesn't mean you're not going to fail again. You might make different mistakes. But failure is part of our journey. It's just one of those things that is painful to experience, but we all experience it. It's part of the journey. Accept it. Learn from it if you can, and then move on. I'd like to see us make ourselves and our kids, everybody, more resilient if we could. So, I mean, those are some of the thoughts I'm having as I'm thinking about how do we be better in life? And then, you know, we can take it to a very simple. I mean, all of you out there have relationships with people. Some of you are in, have spouses. Some of you have partners that you live with. Some of you have children. Some of you are aunts and uncles. You don't have your own kids, but you're close to your families and your sisters and brothers' children. Some of you still have parents that are alive. Um, some of you have aunts and uncles or grandparents that you've been close with. And I'm asking you each to think about, as you think about how can I be better? How can I be better as an individual? Yeah, sure, I can be better on listening to people who don't agree with me on religion or politics or identities or pronouns or whatever it might be. You can be better on that level. How about the people you're closest to? Can you do more for them? Can you show how much you care about them while they're here, while we still have the chance, while we're in relationships? When you look back after somebody's gone, you realize, oh my God, I wish I'd spent more time with them, or I wish I'd cleaned up some stuff or stayed in touch or called more often. I know a lot of people have those experiences in life. And so one of the ways, if you want to be better in life, feel better about life, be better as an individual, as a human being, as a parent, as a brother, sister, aunt, uncle, mother, grandmother, friend, community member. If you think about the people you care about, if you reached out to them recently, if you haven't, think about doing so. Take a step where you feel really good about yourself because you spent part of today and the rest of this week and maybe the rest of this month thinking about the people in your life that you say you care about, you know you love, but have they heard from you recently? Have you done the kind of things they like to do? Have you been with them in the way that they know you care about them? I know myself, I'm in a relationship with my wife for a, a lot of years, uh, many, many, many years, um, and sometimes we are great together. And other times we feel like we're just kind of passing each other by because we're busy with our own stuff. And while we don't question whether we love each other, sometimes we don't, at least I don't always show it in the way that I could. And I, I'm thinking about that today. And Barbara, if you're listening, I'm going to be better at this. 
<laughs> and I hope all of you who are listening want to be better at this. Just showing how much you care and how much you love the people that you know you care and love. But they don't always experience it from you. So can you do more with that? So the emotion roadmap is doing more with the emotions you have, feeling the way you want to feel, making others feel the way you want them to feel. Now, I'm doing a lot of that in the workplace. I'm very excited about some of the work I'm doing. But I also am on the online for people to call in case you got something you want to talk to me about. And I've been talking a lot because I came in. I, a lot of things are on my mind today, and I wanted to share some of them with you because I think, as I said, you know, we've got all this identity changes that we're all being exposed to. And one of the things that I said when I was a keynote speaker is that, you know, one of the things that I learned over time is that we all kind of have our circle of friends, if you will. And within that circle, there are people we like for a variety of reasons, but many of those reasons are they have some similarities in terms of the things they care about, the things that we care, care about are similar. They come from similar backgrounds sometimes. Sometimes we're the same religion. Sometimes we're from the same demographic groups. Sometimes, um, sometimes we're different, but we came together around certain challenges or activities that we participated in together and became friends. But anyway, we have our groups, and they tend to be somewhat porous, but not very porous. They, they tend to be somewhat fixed in terms of who's in our friend group. So with all these changes in identity and all these different you know, people who are out there just letting people know about um, they really want to be recognized for who they are and not feel like they have to hide some of their identity in different ways. Um, one of the things I realized is I can't have a fixed circle anymore. If I really want to be open to everybody and anybody, I've really got to be much more broad in the way I think about who's in my group and who's not. I'd really like to have anybody have access to my group so I have a very porous circle of friends that people can go in and out of. And I want to be open to more and more people who find themselves um, not having very much in common with me and yet being very interesting and also experiencing the journey of life and death and you know going through and having their experiences. One of the things I've always been attracted to is different people's stories. Um, one of the reasons I do this radio show is because everybody that calls has a story. And I always like helping people. And so if I can figure out how to use my emotion roadmap to look at the feelings you have and see if they're potentially unhelpful and help you recognize that maybe there's some feelings that are more ideal to feel, to help you with whatever it is that you're facing, that you're uncertain about how to proceed in order to accomplish whatever you're trying to get done. If I can help you with that by focusing on what you're feeling and what would be ideal to feel and help you to feel more ideal by constructing a strategy that moves you from what you are experiencing and feeling to what you want to experience and feel. And if there's more than you involved, sometimes it's, you know, it's involving one or two or a group of people. If I can help you under, understand how you can influence how they feel, if they're not feeling the way you think would be ideal. If I can help you with all of that, I love that. So, all right, I've talked a lot. I hope you've enjoyed what I had to say. I, I hope you find it somewhat uplifting. I know it's the, the, there's some depressing things in it, but I'm trying to speak to the fact I think there can be alternatives. When I look at politics, can we find a leader who knows how to win and create winning scenarios for everybody, not just his or her own group or party, but for everybody to do what's best for the country? who knows how to compromise when compromise is necessary, 
who doesn't demonize other groups and doesn't demonize um, other parties, who really does unite us, who doesn't ever speak to, and I hate that other group of people because they, whatever. There are people out there, I think, that want to do that and can do that, and I hope we hope we find ways to, to like them so we have more of them in office and we feel better about ourselves and our country. Okay, anyway, if you want to call me, you got something on your mind, you'd like to talk to me about the numbers 203-336-9756. 203-336-9756. Hi, this is Chuck Wolf. You're on the air. Who am I talking to, please? Yeah, my name is Bob. Hi, Bob. Thanks for calling in. <laughs> yeah, hi. I just want to say you touched on a lot of good topics, and emotion is a very powerful thing. And, um, you know, today I think what we're seeing in politics is the use of emotions to sway large groups of people into one direction or another, and I think it happens on both sides. Because I was really pleased to see that uh, Senator Blumenthal and uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee have uh, jointly sponsored some legislation to protect our kids from social media uh, that is getting a lot of support, and I, hopefully it's going to pass. And I just I, those that's the kind of thing I just want to see more of. And, and I, I just I want to say congratulations to the Senator, Senator Blumenthal and to Senator Blackburn on doing something collaboratively across the aisles. Uh, this is my exact my idea of what's good for the country, as right. opposed to what's good for the party. So. So it does yeah, happen. I, I agree. <laughs> and, and sometimes I wonder, you know, how can we do that where it's just not people, the party apparatus doesn't can really control these folks like it does now. Um, but I, uh, I just wanted to share that thought and, and just say, you know, I think for the most part, people in this country are all mostly good in heart and want the best for what's right for us, but they're being manipulated and gaslighted and, and all that's going on. And, and it, there's no one pushing back on that, you know? And, well, I, I, you know, I think they're, they're just, uh, you know, if you haven't already looked them up, no labels is pushing back on that. And so is uh, braver angels. And Braver Angels has got a huge outreach and thousands of people across the country. They, Braver Angels is a group that really is, just helps people to understand each other's points of view, try to take a deeper dive into what is actual facts versus opinions. And, and mm-hmm. just and find it's, it was originally created in part by a fellow named Bill Doherty, who was a marriage therapist. And Bill, Bill's technique is how do how did he help husbands and wives to listen to each other's points of view in ways that they hadn't been? that it caused them to show up in therapy. And it's the same, he's doing the same thing with, with people from red and blue areas or who believe one way and the other person believes the other way. And these techniques really allow people not to necessarily agree with one another, but to hear each other out, to value the other person's experiences and opinions, try to help sort out what's actually fact versus what's opinion. Not to say opinion's bad, but just to know the difference. And, and allow people to just understand, have more understanding, and as a result, more appreciation and empathy toward the other person. Right, and I think that's you know, that's correct. The intelligence—that's the intelligence of it all—is being able to sit and actually do that and c- discuss your opposing opinions. Because what I find a lot of times is when you try to speak to someone with an opposing opinion, the emotion gets in the way, and they just—they can't even talk, you know, logically or 
you know, in an intelligent way. Well, one of the things I found is uh, I, in, in terms of trying to listen to somebody who has a different point of view, I actually used to love to talk with people about politics. And, and, and if you were smart and I thought I was smart and you had a different opinion than me, then there's a chance I might learn something here. And maybe you'll learn something if you're willing to listen. And if I was willing to listen, and I often had conversations with people I really valued. That seems to have stopped for the most part. But what I found that still does work is, you know, just not me saying what I think, but just pushing people just to think a little bit more about, so where did you hear that? And why do you believe that's true? Uh, I mean, not, not to be challenging, just trying to understand why is that such a foundational point for you? And then sometimes people right. begin to question themselves about, well, this guy said, well, okay, uh, is there evidence? I mean, there's, there's so many facts out there that, again, if you listen, I try to listen to different points of view. I look at the Times. I look at the Boston Globe. They tend to be liberal papers. I read the Wall Street Journal. Occasionally listen to cable, you know, different cable channels or the news channels. Um, I mean, there's just lot, so many different things that are being talked about right. that seem like, are you looking at the same things? <laughs> you know? Well, I think that... Um, you know, I, I look at a lot of different news programs myself um, in, the, you know, also some of the uh, online media. But um, I'll say this. I think a lot of people work just so hard all day long that they come home, they flop in their chair, they throw their favorite ch- news program on, and that's basically it, you know. And so they're right. not doing that extra research, which would probably, in a lot of instances, keep their emotions intact from some of these issues, you know, and they might look at things from a different perspective. Yeah, I've also cut down on the amount of news that I'll watch, too. I, I find that I, I, I like to stay up to date, but I don't I don't want to watch all the time. I mean, I was compulsive about it for a while, and then I just thought... I don't think it's healthy. No, I don't do <laughs> you know, I always thought, how about, why don't we have a good news station? <laughs> you know, just the news channel that just shows all the good things in the world of that day, not all the bad things that well, get the sensationalism mm-hmm. Partly because we live in a capitalist country and that doesn't make money. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it would. <laughs> you never know. But, uh, okay. hey, I, that's really all I wanted to say. And uh, I really think you're doing a great service. So keep thanks, up the Thanks a lot, Bob. Thanks a lot for the phone call. Take care now. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, now, I did have somebody else that had tried to call earlier. So if you want to call back, the number is 203-336-9756. Hi, this is Chuck. You're on the air. Who am I talking to, please? Name is PJ. PJ? Yes. Hi, PJ. Thanks for calling. Uh, how can I help you today? Okay. This is sort of related to your topic as far as politics and disagreements among community members where you uh, are, you know, on different sides of certain issues, but on most issues, you're on the same side. Uh-huh. So, and the other thing is, WPKN has broken my heart recently. They used to be my favorite station. I had them on all the time, including your show. But over this issue, I've had them off for the past, have been listening to other stations uh, for the past few weeks because of what happened. So what happened is a long story, but it's about a political issue in the state of Connecticut, which is called... Uh, Senate Bill 1076, Medical Aid in Dying. Okay, this is dear to my heart because my wife died about six years ago, and she wanted this bill. She wanted this option, which would it would be an 
a terminally ill person, I don't know if you've heard it, it's been in the news, it's been proposed in uh, this, you know, in, in the state house for about 15 times, about 15, 20 years. Okay. But at any rate, uh, a terminally ill person could request a pill that would end their life rather than having to wait it out naturally or whatever um, okay. and suffer. Now, there's lots of safeguards. They keep changing the safeguards on it um, as far as, you know, the length of time, the witnesses, the doctors. They have to be, you know, of sound mind and so on and so forth. It's an option. It's an option. It's not, nobody should be forced into this at all. But at any rate, I have been a little bit of an activist with this for the past six years since my wife died. Uh-huh. And I, I went to the hearings, the first couple of years of hearings, with uh, another woman who I met at the hospice while her spouse was dying. Uh-huh. And we both said, you know, let's, let's go and testify in behalf of this, this bill. Okay, where PKN comes in, and this year there was a, um, the hearing this year, this year was uh, in February, there was over 100 speakers. Um, and it was in the public health committee. It, it's never come to a floor vote, but at any rate, it, the, it got out of public health committee and, and the status now, then it went to judiciary committee and then it died there. So it's dead for another year. It's not, not going to be voted on. So, uh, where PKN comes in, in my disappointment is, um, I was just, I would normally never call the station about a a political issue like this um, because I know they mainly have national stories and so on. But at any rate, uh, I happened to be listening to the station to a, a news talk show, and they brought, they had on uh, guests for about a half an hour, two women who are on the opposite side against this. Now, there's good people on both sides. Um, but at any rate, the host had on these two women that are with a group that they call themselves progressive and they call themselves against this bill. So when the show was over, I called in the host and I said, you know, what, what's up? Can you have the, uh, the, the pro side, our side on? And uh, he wasn't interested much in that. He didn't say anything. Then I found out later he had had them on in February also for another almost half hour. So I, I emailed, I called him, like I say, right after I emailed him. I sent him uh, the magazine of the, uh, the nonprofit, you know, activist group, which is called Compassion and Choices. I sent him that mm-hmm. because one of the things that really got me was the, the people who were on the opposite side. Uh, they were, they were uh, you know, being very... Uh, <sighs> Untrue about compassion and choices. Let's say I think they were they were saying that somehow it's involved financially with insurance companies and blah blah blah. But um, when you hear the stories of the people who have lost someone and watch somebody suffer in their final years and their final months, really, yeah. um, <laughs> you, you know, you, you might have a different story. But at any rate, yeah. I, so I, I contacted the host that had had them on, the news show. Then I contacted uh, 
several others of the higher-ups of uh, the station, four or five different people. I got down to the news director. Nobody responded except the news director. He said he was going to get back to me. And, you know, the news show has supposedly they cover issues in Connecticut from stories in the Hartford Current and stuff. Well, this I forwarded him a whole long list of articles, including one where I had been quoted recently in the Hartford Current mm-hmm. and, you know, other, other uh, local st- TV stations and news stations. It was in the news. It's not a real hidden issue. But at any rate, I got nothing back from P- PKN, and now the issue is, you know, it's it's not not making it anywhere this year. So, you know, I I was very disappointed. Like I say, I don't expect them to necessarily cover this issue, but if they're going to give that much airtime to the opposition, they should at least have somebody come on and explain or give a news just just give a news article like what was in the Hartford Current recently, you know, with with people testifying uh, why they're in favor. They they're giving the con side and not the pro side, and they're not even answering, you know, our requests to get some coverage. So, so I threw I, away my WPKN bumper stickers. I had a couple of them on my desk from when I yeah. had contributed. You know, it's like this is. They should at least say, okay, we can't, we can't cover it. But they didn't even answer me back. The guy said he was going to look stuff over and get back to me the next day. He never did. So that's disappointing. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I, you know, in terms of, you know, I, I don't want to defend the station except to say this about the station. Um, as a volunteer programmer, nobody tells me what to do. Yeah. It's all volunteers. Um, if people like my show, they're going to tune in to listen to it. If they don't, they're not. Um, but no one's going to say to me, Chuck, you sure? I mean, there's certain parameters, like I'm not supposed to talk about my business, you know, or, or something like that. It's, I shouldn't be self-advocating that way. But my opinions, my thoughts, the things I want to share, especially on a, on a, on a talk show versus like music, um, it's going to be what I think it's important to, to cover, uh, which I, I have tremendous respect for. There's a lot that is on some of our news shows that I agree with and a lot I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. But I just accept that's free-form radio. <laughs> I mean, that's partly what makes WPKN great. Not not great for this issue for you. I get that. By the way, I, I, the issue itself is um, I also experienced someone who had a tremendously horrible long-term, you know, she wasn't really alive kind of, you know, situation where she just stayed in a nursing home where they bathed her, cleaned her, fed her. She couldn't talk. She didn't. We don't. I mean, I, it was so unfair for her to have to live like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you, when you talk about, you know, uh, this bill about helping people make that choice or allowing people rather to make that choice, uh, I understand the fear factor about, you know, people doing it. I mean, that's not wrong to say that some people might do it for the money or for what, what other reasons than being empathetic to the person they care and love. But that's not the whole story. The, the whole story includes what you just talked about, and what I saw happen to someone I loved. So I think it's, um, I think there obviously are more, more than one side. And some states have done this. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't know why Connecticut doesn't do it, honestly. Uh, again, maybe you, you put some boundaries up and some parameters so it's not, no one, no one ever thinks someone's being forced into this and doing it for money. But 
Yeah, I think it has to be something um, that should come to the floor for a vote. I'm, I, I did see that, and I'm, I'm sorry that it didn't come up. But um, anyway, I, I'm, I'm empathetic to your concern. I, but I also share that the mission and what you've loved about the station all these years, when you've mostly agreed with a lot of what they've put up there, is that it's free form and volunteers make this station what it is. So yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, even if you're not going to allow any discussion of it, at least you know respond back. I don't know how many emails these people get that they couldn't say sorry, we can't do anything, or you just respond back. To me, that's kind of ghosting and, and, or whatever you want to call. And that, uh, no apologies for that. That's unacceptable. People should, yeah. you know, people should let you know. I'm sorry. I looked into it. I. It's just not something I'm comfortable doing. And yeah, at least yeah. get back to you. No, I get that. And that I won't apologize for that because that's just wrong. And I think there must be somebody who has a talk, public affairs, news show on the station who would cover it. And I just don't know who. Like, I went through the list and, and I emailed, like I say, about five people. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're getting closer. I mean, the first few years, uh, first year I went was in 2018. We were outnumbered four to one, and it was all religious people against us. Yeah. And now it's more, you know, at the hearings where you give your testimony. Now it's becoming closer to 50-50. But, you know, it's easy. After being sitting through many hours of listening to people's testimony, I can sum up both sides. You know, our side basically says they were suffering we love them. They asked for our help. And we believe in the right of self-determination, and we couldn't help them. Basically something like that. The opposition is religious objections, or it won't work, or something might go wrong. It might be abused. And it was, you know, mainly religious objections, and a lot of them from the Catholics, of course, and other groups. But those are the objections. It's something might go wrong. It might be abused against uh, disabled people or whatever. But yeah. you have to be terminally ill. If you're disabled, that doesn't qualify you. You have to be terminally ill, certified by several doctors, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole long list of things. And it's, you know, it's been in force or not, not in force, an option, a law like this in uh, Oregon for over 20 years. And there haven't been any documented cases of any abuse, you know. Right. And it's in about 10 other states now, too. We have it in, it's in Vermont, it's in New Jersey, so. I would I would add one other uh, fact, because I've spent some time looking at this, too. Uh, for me, it's the person who is living in constant and dire pain every yes. day. Yes. And that, they're, you know, that the only way that they survive is these terrible drugs that make them dizzy and uncomfortable and nauseous and, and, and then, and there's no recourse. It's just going to, it's going to be months, maybe years that they're going to live like this every day. And that's a very strong argument for what you're saying to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's giving people who are terminally ill more control while they're still in their, you know, still in their right mind and still able to make decisions and so forth to, to, you know, and everybody has that, has that right, I think. And, you know, you say, well, why not just commit suicide? Well, that's what some people do, and that can be very bloody and very hard on the family, too. 
So there's one young woman who's testified a few times about her mother who could have used, you know, this medical aid and was in terrible pain, dying from cancer and and took a gun and went out in her backyard shed and, and killed herself. And then her husband had to come home and find that with, you know, blood everywhere and police activity. And, you know, it was it was because she couldn't take it anymore. I mean, painkillers don't do it for everybody, like you say. And and some people just don't want to be in that state where, you know, they're covered with bed sores, hardly able to move, you know, incontinent. Yeah. and just waiting out the months because they're going to die anyways. That's the whole point. You know, the you interesting know? thing, I think, PJ, is that I, I think this is, every once in a while there are certain experiences that some people think that they can relate to, but until you've actually experienced the loved one go through this kind of thing or you've been the person going through it, I don't think you really can relate to this. You can intellectually understand it, but I don't think you feel it the way that you did when you watched yeah. your wife die. So yeah. I, I think, um, well, I hope you feel like you've had a chance, at least on my show, to talk about what you thought was important to say about it. Yes. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, Thanks. you take care. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to Chuck Wolf, The Emotion Roadmap. Take the wheel and control how you feel. Hopefully you enjoyed the first part of the show where I try to talk about all these issues and help you to be the best version of yourself. If you got somebody you care about, spend more time with them. Show them that you care. Let me know how it goes. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, Chuck Wolf, WPKN 89.5 FM, The Emotion Roadmap. Bye-bye.